I'm John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. I want to thank you for joining me. Uh, again, uh, thrilled to be broadcasting in New York City and in Washington, D.C., uh, but we can't do it without your help. So if you're listening on WBAI in New York City, I ask that you go to their pledge line, go to their website, and support this radio station. And, and of course, WBAI specifically has what they call the buddy program. And, you know, I used to have, uh, you know, quite a, quite a crew of people who had signed up for the buddy program in the name of the show. I don't know how many I have now, <laughs> if any. So I'm asking you to do that. I'm asking you to, uh, to, become, to become a buddy of the program. And, you know, the money goes directly to, the, to WBAI. Uh, I get credited with, uh, with bringing revenue in to the station uh, through the show. Uh, and you can do any amount you want, $5, $10, $20, $50, $100. I mean, whatever you want to do on a monthly basis, that's what being a buddy is. And you become a member, a member of the station. And there's some perks that come along with that as well. But you, you actually get to participate and vote and that kind of thing on, on certain things like candidates and, uh, and, and the like. So, so I ask that you, that you support the radio station, make a one-time donation, or like I said, become a, uh, a BAI buddy. Uh, the number to call uh, for, for WBAI is 212-209-2950 or go online to give to WBAI.org. And, and I, again, I ask you to support the station. If you're listening in Washington, if you're listening on WPFW, again, I ask that you support that fine radio station. And, in fact, let me uh, take a moment here because i got to wish WPFW a happy birthday. Uh, this, this past week has been their 47th birthday. And... In keeping with the number 47, they were trying to do a special promotion to get folks to do either a one-time donation of $47 or uh, perhaps if you're ambitious and you, uh, and you can swing it, do, becoming a sustaining member, uh, kind of like the buddy program, becoming a sustaining member of $47 a month. That would be huge for the station. And frankly, uh, it kind of justifies my spot on their, uh, on their broadcast grid. So, so again, if you're listening in Washington on WPFW, I ask that you go to their line, which is 202-588-9739, or go to their website, which is WPFWFM.org, and you can follow the prompts for, for donation. Look, we don't just put this uh, show up on, on two radio stations. We, we stream it live on Facebook Live. We, um, we put it up as a podcast, and so many of you may not hear this on either one of those stations, but you know what? I still encourage you. I encourage you to you know, take a pick. Maybe donate to both of them. If, if you're listening on Facebook, how about you, 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 you throw $10 a month into the buddy program uh, to WBAI, or you throw $10 a month to the sustaining pro program at WPFW, and do it in the name of the station. And look, then you cover me, and you cover my responsibility for doing some of that heavy lifting for for funding these radio stations. That's my ask of you. Um, I also want to mention, look, I, I not only do this show, I also do a podcast called Let's Talk Native. Um, and I just posted a, I, I don't do necessarily do a, a new podcast every week. Sometimes it's event driven. Well, I, I mentioned last week that I had, I drafted a, uh, a defense of, uh, of sorts, uh, and a challenge to, to some of the what, what I think is the more onerous uh, legal doctrines that are used against Native people, so I did a I did a read of, of the letter that the paper that I produced, and uh, so if you're not if you don't want to do a uh, you know a 20, 25 minute read of 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 the document that I've got posted on on Facebook, then go to my podcast. It's uh, it's Let's Talk Native with John Kane podcast, and listen to the latest one. And it's uh, it's my reading of the of the paper that I put together, and I'd be interested to hear from you because you know look, I'm trying to address. What, what some might view as very complicated legal issues, but I try to simplify it enough and and be clear and concise in in the criticisms that I have about how when it comes to native policy, the United States has has almost forgotten about things like rule of law or constitutionality. They have adopted this this you know pure, almost tyrannical uh, means of, of of authoritarian rule that comes out of the Supreme Court. So on that note, let me let me uh, mention that uh, this week uh, is the 201st or the 201 year anniversary of Johnson v. McIntosh, and that's one of those Supreme Court rulings that I that I've talked about at length, uh, you know, on, on several occasions. It is it is the case in which the doctrine of Christian discovery becomes codified into U.S. law. And again, as as I say in the paper that I've that I'm speaking about, and what I mentioned last week. 
the crazy part is people think that law is legislated, that all law comes from legislation. Well, treaties are parts of the supreme law of the land, supposedly, <laughs> unless they're native treaties, and then, then they get treated a different way. But not all elements of what they consider laws or, or legal doctrine are ever legislated. Sometimes legal doctrine comes purely out of the opinions, not even the rulings, but the opinions associated with rulings. And in Johnson v. McIntosh, there was no reason that they had to you know, you know, codify U.S. law. I mean, here's the case, just in a nutshell, just so you know. Again, over 200 years, we're, we're, we actually, this, the 201-year anniversary, 1823, Johnson v. McIntosh. What you had is you had two white guys who had um, occupy, were occupying lands, um, and they may not even really have intersected, but one of the guys claims to have, have gotten the land through a federal grant or a, a federal purchase, and the other said that he had gotten the land through a grant or a, a, a native lease, or, or if not a purchase, because they refer to them as lessees, and I'm not sure whether they're considering a lease like a sale or whatever else, which is language that we've, we've been exposed to. But you, anyway, you have these two white guys who are claiming to have different um, origin stories to how they become you know, the occupiers of lands that may or may not have intersected. So it's considered Johnson versus McIntosh. And so the way the court ruled was that the guy who claims that he got the land from Native people, um, they, they, they ruled against him. They said, no. Uh, Native people can't can't sell you the land. Only the federal government can. And that's when Justice John Marshall goes at length to talk about the doctrine of Christian discovery. Uh, he, he, you know, he creates a whole bunch of language associated with the fact that Native, that in his view, and in and according to, again, papal bulls and what other Christian monarchs of Europe had done, was to regard Native people, whether it was Africa, South America, North America, any place that they ever ran into what they considered pagans, which ironically always looked a lot different than them. They, they weren't as white as the, uh, as the Christian monarchs of, of Europe. But they always regarded the pagans as, as less than human and not possessing even the, the mental capacity to, to claim title to land. So we were considered like the animals. We just happened to live there. You know, they, they knew we lived there. I mean, they, they, they referred to us as occupying the land, but not occupying it in any more of a fashion than the deer or the, or the rabbits or the, you know, or the skunks or anybody else, right? So that's how we were viewed. And that's how this notion of doctrine of discovery or doctrine of Christian discovery more accurately, because, and I say Christian discovery because Justice John Marshall emphasized that, that this was a right of Christian people of white Christian Europeans, white Christian people to, to take and, and own and occupy and, and, and take title to the native lands. So, but he also went a little farther with it. And I, and I always got to bring this up because he actually talks about um, what he calls this extravagant pretension, which, and what he's talking about is this idea of converting, which is really just saying equating, the discovery of an occupied land or occupied country is what he actually said to, to conquest of that land and country. And he said, and if you can do it and you can get away with it and you could sustain it. And if you could actually build communities on land that you occupied in this way, simply by saying you discovered it and it's yours, then, then conquest and, and discovery are the same thing. That's, that is literally, and he, and he calls it, he calls it an extravagant pretension. So not only does he say that Native people can't own land, we can't hold title to land, even though they're already, like I said, there are already treaties, there's, there's written law that states otherwise, he expresses an opinion that ends up being the legacy. Because lo and behold, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, 2005, cites the doctrine of Christian discovery in, uh, in a case involving the Oneidas, and the Oneidas are a part of the one of those treaties that I'm talking about, where we talk about the, the federal government acknowledging that we own the land and that the federal federal government will never claim the same, nor will they disturb us in the free use and enjoyment of that land. But Ruth Bader Ginsburg chose to cite the doctrine of discovery from this Johnson v. McIntosh case 201 years ago as justification for ruling against the Oneidas. So this becomes the law of the land without legislation 
without any real um, originating documents, just the other than the opinion of Justice Justice John Marshall. So, so that's a hundred or two hundred one years ago. Now I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, so I'm going to bring, bring it up again. We're coming up on the hundredth anniversary of the Indian Citizenship Act, which is when Congress, the Senate, and, and, and House of Representatives declared that all Native people were, were hereby citizens. They didn't say you have the opportunity again, if you or if you'd like to be. I mean, a, a few years before that, they had passed some sort of uh, another act that that said if you were Native and you served in the military, and this is coming out of World War One, if you had enlisted, um, and if you'd like, you could become a citizen. So. That was left up to the choice. But in, 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 again, in uh, 1924, 100 years ago, coming up this June, they just flat out said, no, you're, you're all citizens now. And so the question ends up being, why did they do that? And, and why did they make it unilateral and re requiring no request, no application, no certification, nothing? Just boom, you're, you're a citizen. Yesterday you weren't, but today you are. I mean, why, why would they do that? Well, and, and I'll tell you, part of it is, was about control and, and solving what the United States has always regarded and still regards as their Indian problem. And, and that's what, that was just another attempt at it. I mean, you know, I, I've mentioned this before. You know, the 14th Amendment, which, which was supposed to clear up the idea of citizenship for the formerly enslaved, didn't apply to us. And they knew it, and that's why they had to do this thing in, in uh, 1924. Because part of that language said those under U.S. jurisdiction. Well, clearly we weren't under U.S. US jurisdiction, in spite of some of the language that has come out of uh, out of these court rulings and stuff like that. The only thing that that ha has really always been sustained was whether where the courts had power and where they didn't have power, and 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 where Congress had power. So. <clears throat> Again, 201 years, a year anniversary, just this past week on Johnson v. McIntosh. So I think it's, uh, I, I've at least got to cite it, right? Even though I've, I've talked about it a bit for the last couple of weeks, I, I've at least got to bring it up again. Um, and, and look, this is still an issue that I'm going to continue to pound because I'm, I'm going to spend a great deal of time in not just the work that I do here on, on, on this radio program, but in other areas, in, in speaking engagements and that kind of thing, tackling the authoritarian rule nature of these of this Supreme Court, specifically the, the Marshall Court, creating these legal doctrines, doctrine of Christian discovery, the uh, uh, federal trust uh, doctrine, and the plenary powers doctrine, where the court essentially grants Congress ultimate authority beyond any constitutional challenge, beyond any state challenge, beyond any other system of checks and balances grants Congress ultimate authority over all the, uh, the affairs of, of Native peoples. Those three legal doctrines are just whipped up out of thin air. I mean, Doctrine of Discovery at least has some, some church background to it, which separation of church and state would, would uh, suggest that, well, that's not appropriate. Of course it's not appropriate. None of it was appropriate. And so the challenge has always been is because we were always considered outside of the U.S. Constitution, how do they, fo how do they force us in? So they did a little of it with Doctrine of Discovery. They did a little bit more in, uh, in Cherokee versus Georgia, where they call us wards of the state. And then they ultimately try to put a, their final stamp of subjugation over us by saying Congress has plenary, which means ultimate authority over Native peoples. I mean, and, and they just kind of, this is just one guy writing an opinion. And, and again, I got to emphasize, the, the, the language that he expresses in his opinion are not nece necessary to the ruling that he made in those cases. This is what they call legal dicta, the, you know, the stuff they, they throw in there as their, as their justification, partially, for the ruling. But oftentimes, these are ancillary opinions that they're offering that may or may not have really ha impacted the ruling in the first place. But though those words and that language get cited over and over again, and then they start building upon it. So now when you get this, this notion of plenary powers of Congress, now Congress can just pass any law that they want. Now, and I got to tell you, before this 201 years ago, there weren't a whole lot of laws on the books. There, were, there wasn't a whole lot in, uh, on the books in, in the United States as far as what anybody would consider anti or Indian law. 
I mean, there were a few laws that were passed that that we were part of. I mean, one of the things, you know, just a few years before this was the Civilization Fund Act. That was in 1819. And that's when Congress decided, we're going to start funding these schools that are uh, going to help assimilate Native people. And, you know, and they, and they put some nice language to it. Oh, it's going to help it so we, they, they can survive, so they won't be driven into extinction. No, they won't be driven into extinction. We're just going to whitewash the people and change their identities and that kind of stuff. And so that, and that 1819 is actually where residential schools get its start. And, of course, then it gets reaffirmed and reaffirmed and reaffirmed. Uh, the expansion of it grows and that kind of stuff. I mean, and there's, all, and there's any number of laws that got passed only because of the authorities that uh, Justice John Marshall had put uh, with Congress and the diminishment of, uh, of our sovereignty and our autonomy that he expressed in, in these rulings. So I think it's really important that, uh, that people understand that. You know, and, and here's the other thing. I mean, I try to promote the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. And it doesn't have any enforcement powers. It doesn't really, it's, it's nice language. But it, it's not this utopian uh, declaration for indigenous peoples. It really isn't. I mean, because it doesn't address, it doesn't specifically attack these doctrines by name. I mean, in the, in the third affirmation of the, uh, of the UN DRIP, it basically calls out any policies, practices, or doctrines that are based on race or national origin or ethnicity and that kind of stuff. And it calls them racist. It calls them legally invalid. It calls them morally condemnable and socially unjust. And we can say, okay, yeah, they're, they're specifically talking about the doctrine of discovery. And I say that all the time. But they don't ever say it. They don't actually go into things like forced citizenship, like 1924, 100 years ago, <laughs> that we're coming up on. It doesn't address spe the specific policies. It kind of generally condemns policies that are set to, to, to diminish who we are. And while I appreciate some of what the UN DRIP does um, say, and, 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 and most of it is, is just basic human rights stuff. The only thing that, I, that I'll say that the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples does is it, it, it codifies in its language this notion that for things to be done to us or affecting us, as far as the international community is concerned, within this Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, they call upon the necessity for free, prior, prior and informed consent. So that's what they say. And, and it's mentioned like seven times in the document, that free, prior, and informed consent, whether it's something that impacts us, something that is directed towards us, whether it's uh, about, you know, trying to acquire our lands or compensate us or, or whatever it is. They, they mentioned it like seven times in, in, in all the articles of the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. It requires free, prior, and informed consent. Now, I got to say that because neither you, the U.S. or Canada will, will embrace that part of, the, uh, of the, de de the declaration. They try to reduce this idea of free, prior, and informed consent to mere consultation. Consultation is not consent. Putting us in a room to hear what you're going to do to us and then maybe or maybe not letting us weigh in on the issue and then you go ahead and do whatever the hell you're going to do anyway, that's not consent. And, and of course, consent is always a little bit difficult because, you know, how do you determine consent? Because oftentimes, consent, especially on a mass of people, like and Native people as disparate as we are in, in different uh, you know, territories, and we're all different people, so they pass these laws that become blanket, uh, you know, covering all Native peoples. Look, you might have some people who say, yeah, I'm okay with that. Or, hey, it doesn't affect me, I'm okay with that. And even within a community, you may have differences of opinion. So the idea of trying to get consent, you better be doing something fabulous for Native people <laughs> if you're going to attempt to get consent out of us. But, see, that's what the United States doesn't require and, and Canada doesn't require. They say, no, we, we just have to consult with them. And they feel like they checked that box, even though it's mentioned seven times in the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous, Indigenous Peoples. They, they, they just kind of strike it. See, the other thing about U.S. and Canada is they tried to um, redefine a term called self-determination. And so what the U.S. and Canada try to say is, well, we understand what the international meaning of self-determination is. I mean, because that goes into statehood, or nation statehood and all that stuff. But they said, 
yeah, when, when we're talking about indigenous people, we're not talking about self-determination at that level. We just mean internal stuff. You know, they can decide, you know, what they're doing within their community to some extent, as long as we're not impacted by it. But we're not going to, we're not going to give them, grant them sovereignty over their own lands. And that's literally the language that they use. So they don't want to use words like sovereignty. And when they use words like self-determination, they just mean uh, internal stuff. You know, you guys can like name a holiday or, you know, just decide which speed limit you're going to have on your, your, your reservation roads and that kind of stuff. I mean, I mean it's really this, I, this shallow level. And, and the crazy part is the presence of the Interior Department or the Bureau of Indian Affairs, I should say, part of the Interior Department, on some of these territories oftentimes even interferes in any internal, quote-unquote, tribal resolution. So uh, this, this notion of self-determination is really uh, um, pathetically understood when it comes to the United States and Canada. So I, I've got to say that. Now, the other thing that the UN does is they've established, and it's almost, I mean, we're coming on, up on 20 years of, the, of what they call the, the UN Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues. And, you know, and, and this should be a place where we slowly become or create some enforcement mechanism or some means to at least condemn countries like the United States and Canada that still remain in stark violation of the UN Declaration of, of Indigenous Peoples. I think the permanent forum is actually older than the declaration. I think because that permanent forum may have helped, you know, devise some of that language. But it's, um, look, and I know it's, it's really easy to condemn the UN, especially because they seem so inept. Um, obviously, the, the Gaza uh, um, situation is, is deplorable and and the UN, the way it's constructed and, and the veto power that certain nations have just make it almost a, a completely inept um, organization. But even when you're talking about a relatively small population of people, like indigenous people, and I don't mean just native people in North America, I mean all over the world, we are still considered a pretty small population um, when it comes to, I mean, we're not. I mean, in, internationally, it's a pretty big population, but, but in the United States, we're a pretty small population. But the concern they have about the impact of even addressing just the human rights of indigenous peoples is so concerning to the power brokers of the world that not much happens there. Not much happens there. All right. A couple of things. And I, I do want to go to some of the phone lines. I do want to take some calls today. But I, I got to bring, bring up a couple, of, um, a couple of other things. Again, um, depending on whether you're listening uh, to this on Friday or Thursday, um, we finished Black History Month, and um, I mentioned it last week when I was talking to Reggie. I said, I'm a little surprised that the doctrine of discovery still is not a topic of discussion when we're addressing things like Black History Month. And I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that you know, for all of the, the language that, that gets associated with the 1619 Project, I mean, <laughs> 1619 Project is all about slavery in the beginnings mm -hmm. of slavery. So how do you not address the foundational concurrence or uh, permission or advocacy for slavery, which is the doctrine of Christian discovery? I don't know how it's not addressed. I don't, did you anybody catch up with you at all, Reggie, since we spoke last week? Uh, no, not really. I mean, and, and you know, and the funny thing about that, John, is that they're notable scholars, you know, like Ivan Van Cinema that have mentioned the doctrine of discovery in their lectures, as well as, um, who else? Um, oh my God, that, uh, there was another person. Now I'm blind. Dr. Ben, Dr. Ben, um, was another, is another uh, person that would reference the doctrine of discovery. Um, and with the exception of maybe, uh, Ron Daniels, uh, you know, and, and I know that in the past, um, uh, Hugh Hamilton has really discussed the doctrine of, of discovery a lot. Really, no one else has. I, I am really am surprised about that. Well, and, and especially now, I mean, contemporarily, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised because it just seems like, you know, right, if you're, if you're right, going to be right, addressing right. this stuff, I mean, you know, for one thing, even if you're talking about, the, the conversation about reparations, for, for one. I mean, why wouldn't you want to throw the Catholic Church under the bus a little bit on this thing? 
You know what I'm saying? I mean, because it isn't, I mean, it's, it's pretty clear the role that the, that, you know, church dogma. I mean, I realize that now you've got the Catholic church backtracking and say, Oh no, we didn't, we didn't create the doctrine of Christian discovery. We, that's a misinterpretation of the papal bulls. Yeah. But the, the church was enriched by all of this slavery and all of this, you know, spread of Christendom and all that other stuff. So it's, so it's kind of, it's kind of weak in that regard. So I, I guess that, that, that concerns me. And, and maybe next year, you know, maybe Cornell West will call or somebody like that. And, and we'll get some of these contemporary voices that, that, you know, I think in general do pretty good work. Some, some more than others. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I think this is a missing part of the, the dialogue. And it's one of those places where Native people and, and the, the, the Native experience and the Black experience have a shared origin story to that, to the genocide and, and the enslavement that took place. And, and I think without, without addressing it, I, I think we, we, do our, we do our own history a bit of a disservice. And we, we're letting people off the hook. And and I don't and I think when we're, we're we're trying to point out some of the the uncomfortable truths of history, we we should go all in with it. That's that, that's my view. Yeah, I mean, really, we're whitewashing it, uh, the history, because the thing is, is that you you're missing a huge context from that history on why things are the way they are. You know, it's like the mentality of folks who have actually come to this country to say that. God, God has, has told me to come here to not only take over the land, but whoever is here, I'm delivering the word, whether you like it or not, your life really doesn't matter as long as I convert you, whether you are dead or alive. Well, and I, I mean, I, I'm, not even, I'm not even sold on, on the commitment to conversion. I, I think religion, I mean, yeah, yeah, religion yeah. as it was used. I mean, look, they amended the Bible, they, the, the, what they call the slave <laughs> Bible. Do you, you know the story of the slave Bible? Right. Where they ripped out all yeah, the parts yeah, yeah. and talked about things like human rights. <clears throat> yeah, all right. that stuff. So I think it's it, it's a manipulation. And, you know, the, the very nature, I mean, and look, I understand religion is really a big part of many people's lives, especially in, mm-hmm. the, in the black community. I mean, mm-hmm, the whole mm-hmm, Baptist mm-hmm. church and, and, you know, all of that stuff. I, I stand. I understand how valuable it is, but that doesn't mean you don't hold the church the as an institution responsible. Regardless of what you believe in the Bible or or anything else, regardless of what you believe, you still got. I mean, that's like looking the other way on on the clergy sex abuse stuff. You don't look the other way simply because right. because you're a Christian. And 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 that's the thing that I've got to say to, to, to black folks in particular. Don't mm-hmm. don't shy away from holding the the church responsible, especially you know. And look. I don't want to say especially the Catholic Church because look they they all benefited from the Catholic Church because during the, the the heyday of colonialism there was no other church the Anglican Church hadn't separated yet so you didn't have all the Protestant religions yet but I just say we, we got to hold it accountable we just got to hold it accountable uh, mind you John when I'm saying conversion I'm it's really tongue in cheek yeah because no, I realize when that. you come when you when you're converting someone and they're dead does it really matter. <laughs> you well, know, yeah, so. that that, that uh, Huna Paracera used to, you know, he didn't care how many how young the children died in his care, as long as he was able to baptize them first. Right. You know, exactly. Of, yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. So, <laughs> hey, I got to bring up one other thing before I go to phone calls, and I and I got to bring this up because, uh, you know, um, tomorrow or today, depending on whether you're listening in Washington or New York, but uh, March first is a birthday, and I don't know if you know this, but it's uh, it was uh, Harry Belafonte's birthday. And, yes. Um, yes. And I don't know that Harry Belafonte gets has gotten the due attention, especially th- since he passed away this past year. And and I'll tell you, when all the talk about Grammy snubbing and that kind of stuff, how the hell does Harry not even get mentioned in the Grammys? How how do you not even mention his name? I mean, one of the most dynamic performers, and and especially when it came to music, but also who who used his fame to be. I mean, he was 96 years old and was still advocating for human rights. Yeah, he was, definitely. And, you know, and as a Native definitely. person, I know that, that Harry and, and Gina and, and Sherry and, and, uh, and Julie, I mean, his, his first wife, they were all involved in Native issues. So, mm-hmm. I mean, this isn't just about black issues. It, it was about human rights and it was about... Human and, rights. And so, you know, again, I want to give, you know, I know, uh, I, I think uh, 
his daughter Gina is doing a celebration of life uh, to, for tomorrow. But you know, as we again come out of come out of a, a, a longer Black History Month because you got an extra day. <laughs> I mean, how is it that that Harry is not getting his due? I mean, I, I and, and I get maybe some people because he's been around well, for so long can take it for or he had been around for so long can take it for granted. But I don't think you could ever stop short of honoring somebody's service. That's all. I, I don't even think it's because of his longevity, and I'm, and I'm grateful, extremely grateful for his longevity and his consistency. I think it's similar to the route, because you, as you know, uh, Harry Belafonte, uh, uh, he um, emulated uh, Paul Robeson. I mean, that was one of his big influences. And, and, I know, and, and you do a lot. You're... You do a great job putting uh, ropes and stuff out there. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and so the thing is, is that he, although Paul Robeson, you know, took the ultimate sacrifice to his career, you know, speaking truth to power, I, I think in one aspect is because it wasn't because of the singing per se. It was just the politics, what he believed in, what created the snub for the Grammys. He wasn't, ex he was acceptable as a singer, but in the long run, his politics allowed uh, some people's biases in the Academy to not get uh, any kind of award. Not even a- Not even a I, mention. I even, they didn't even do an, a mention. Yeah, a Lifetime Achievement Award. Yeah, I don't yeah. even think he got that. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> One final note, I got to say, you know, one of the lines or one of the, the, the lines that wasn't ever a part of a speech, but um, a quote from uh, Martin Luther King was to Harry Belafonte. And it's and it, it was in a conversation with Harry that he said, I fear that I'm integrating my people into a burning house. Mm. So that yeah. burning house yeah. reference yeah. is something. And, and I always got to tell people and I got to tell this to, to my own people, native people to say, look, be careful what you wish for. You know, you start trying to get you know, too assimilated and you're going to find yourself in the midst. I mean, look, look at the situation that exists today. I mean, look, look at the total breakdown of us politics and the, and the, you know, the infighting in, within parties and then, and, and, and the party, the partisan politics, not only do you have all this social disruption going on and global mm -hmm. conflict going on and climate mm -hmm. change going on and economic challenges and, you know, uh, you know, people could talk, oh, the economy's doing great. The economy's doing great. Yeah, but this, the disparity has grown. I mean, it's grown over the, the, you know, over the last 10 years. And, and there's not a single president that, that claims this economic success that ever addresses how much during their watch, and, they all, mm -hmm. and it's happened, it happens consistency, consistently, the, the disparity between the wealthy and the, and, and the impoverished uh, grows. So, I mean, it's... Yeah. Well, uh, let's not for, let's not forget, John, that um, you know they're talking about the economy is doing well, and the, and the question should always be asked for who, <laughs> you know, for who? Because as you have just said about the 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 economic uh, disparity um, between rich and poor has widened. I mean, since uh, comparable to the Gilded Age. Uh, it, it's it, 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 there is something to be said when you hear in the corporate media that's saying that oh this is like like the the stock market the stock market somehow the success of the stock market equates the success of people in this country and uh, and it's and it's really only for a limited few you know so the thing is is that it, it's 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 really a, uh, a misnomer when, 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 when you equate the stock market to the success of roughly 350 million people in this country. Well, and, and, it, and almost all of the metrics, though, uh, have right. these, these gaping holes when it comes to disparity. So because you're, you're always going to do these averages, right? You're going to talk about gross domestic product. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about production. You're going to talk about consumer confidence. And, and then how you measure it is because what people are spending more money? Well, spending more money isn't necessarily about consumer confidence. It may be because the prices have gone up. I mean, so yeah, so you you think about <laughs> the way that they're measuring this stuff all of the time. It's uh, it's it's really it's really kind of absurd. So, 
Yeah, people people are spending more money, but no one is talking about why eggs are eight dollars a uh, a dozen. Yeah, well, and and of course, <laughs> depending on where you go, you can see things yeah. that are even even more out of sight. So, yeah, I I think there's there's still a lot that gets missed in in a lot of these conversations. But uh, you know, like I said, and this is that the idea. This gets back to the burning house question. You know, if you don't. Um, put the brakes on a little bit as you're tr- rushing to be a part of a system that's failing. So whether you want to talk, talk about American democracy or uh, capitalism or whatever else, you just better figure out, is there a way to put the brakes on and isolate yourselves a little bit? They, they have these things called transition towns. I don't know if you've ever heard of those, but they're, they were basically created, I think even in Europe, I think is where it started. This idea of creating these towns that are somewhat autonomous so to speak and they and they right. they they're right. not as dependent on yeah. oil and consumption and that kind of stuff there has to be a solid, solid look uh, paid to some of that and you know and look i i heard a, a speaker this week talk about how much influence black people could have if they thought about a reverse migration and started repopulating the south i mean there's a strong you know black population in the south anyway but you look at someplace mm-hmm. like georgia that Politically, has you know, there's there's been some clout that it's gone to to black people, you know, in terms of Senate seats and that kind of stuff. And you and in in other in other states, you may only talk about an extra you know thirty thousand you know forty thousand people in one place or another place that could have a major impact even politically. But if you do so, if you do this migration with this idea, not just to have political power, but you know. But creating creating sustainable economies in a place where the cost of living is lower and that kind of stuff. I, I don't know. I just think there has to be there has to be a bigger game plan from all people. I know from a native standpoint, that, we just can't move uh, yeah. someplace. We we've we've got to right. build what we have on our, on the lands that we're on. Right. But you know, I, I think there has to be a, a, a different philosophy. I think or a strategy. Well, I think the bottom line is, um, uh, I, I think the thing is the key word is leverage and understanding what the leverage is. And I, I think the thing is, is that we have collectively lost that whole idea of what is power because we like to think, you know, the, the corporatocracy like to talk about the importance of voting, but when you're voting <laughs> and, 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 and <clears throat> there's not enough people that are all on the same page on what they want, well, they could pick you, you know, they, you know, divide and conquer. Well, and, and it's hard to, it's, it's, you sometimes have to sacrifice some of your own best interest because you're being left right. with choices of, you know, of bad or worse. And so, yeah, it's not, it's not always as smooth as what people think. But I got to do that. Right. Say, there, there has to be another driver beyond just political leverage. I think Absolutely. sustainability, Absolutely. you know, being able to be, almost insulate yourself a little bit from, you know, I mean, look, I, we're all going to get hit with climate change one way or the other, but we can, well, we you, can push back on, the influences that come into our communities if we if we're not as dependent on the outside and i think that's you know i say that not as a native person but anybody who who looks at trying to protect their community i don't mean from from immigration or migration i'm not talking about that i mean from the influences of of again corporatocracy as you mentioned mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. all right hey let me let me give the, the phone number out maybe we'll get a few people to call in and Tell me that uh, I have a feeling some people may, may call. maybe they'll tell me to stay in my lane. I don't know, but <laughs> let's go ahead. 212-209-2877. That's the number to call. Look, this is uh, the number for for New York City. Uh, uh, so uh, I apologize to the folks in Washington. You're just gonna have to hear callers uh, until I do some more live shows down there. Um, but uh, that's the number to call here in uh, t- to talk to us at WBAI. That's two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. Give a call and look. I always throw a bunch of stuff out there, but we don't. We're not necessarily stuck to uh, talking about the things that I presented. It was one of the one of the one of the first rules I violated when I was asked to do talkback radio. They, uh, I was told, uh, you know, try to stay stay focused on the topic at hand. And I'm thinking, nah, somebody calls in, I'm going to let them talk about whatever they want to talk about. So, um, I may not have great answers if you talk about something I don't know anything about, but. <laughs> But, but you know me, Reggie. I probably got something to say about everything, right? Oh, you got always something to say. Fret not. Fret not. All right. So Speaking again, of that, 212 we, we 209 All right. 212-209-2877. Uh, when you call, first off, make sure that your radio's turned down. 
Um, try not to use a speakerphone because oftentimes you, we may sound clearer to you, but you don't sound clearer to us. So I'm just, these are just tips for callers. Um, cause I, I hear that on a lot of shows. So, and I'm going to ask uh-huh. you, give me your first name and where you're calling from. Just, uh, just, uh, just to be polite. So caller, you're up first. What's your name and where you're calling from? Uh, James Baker. Hey, James. I don't mind giving my full name. No, I that's everybody a... know I like this show. One of the best shows on, on the radio or TV if it's on TV. <laughs> so, hey, listen. Uh, I'm from Brooklyn. Well, I was born down in the South, where they still run things down there. Mm-hmm. You know who I'm talking about, yeah, right? Yeah, but yeah. anyway, the people you were just talking about, referring to. But let me let me just say, put this one point uh, up. Uh, you know, you keep saying they, they call them, they are, they refer to themselves as Christians. But if you read the Bible, and even if you don't believe in the person, guess what? Read the history of the man they call Jesus Christ. And they used the first six letters of his name to call themselves Christians. Well, let me tell you something. When I read it, I know there ain't no Christians. Well, they're basically what he said when he was on earth 2,000 years ago. He said to them, when they said they were children of Abraham, he said, no, you're not. He said, you are from your father, who? The devil. That's where they come from. What do you think they can do what they're doing over in Palestine? And it ain't, it's, everybody's talking about the people who are Israel, that's not Israel. That's the United States directly. Mm-hmm. That's Biden and all those cronies under him, all those people in Congress, and all the, what, 200,000 whites here in America who, who mostly support him? That's where it's at. Yeah. No, I, I, I right. agree. And, and, and look, and, and here's the thing. The, the thing, when people talk about the Bible, too, you have to understand, there is a, almost a disconnect between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I mean, there's a this wrathful, exactly. vengeful God in the, in the Old Testament, and then there's this loving Jesus in the, in the New Testament. <laughs> and, and nobody seems to ever tackle the fact that, uh, that, there, that there's this disconnect between the, 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 the old and the new. But uh, that, that's a whole yeah. other issue. And you know what else? The fact that they can, they can follow Trump, the, one of the most evil people. Now, they can talk about lesser evil, but... I put Biden on the same level as him, and I put him on the same level, him and Biden, on the same level as Hitler. Because guess what? What they're doing to those people there, they already did to hundreds of millions of your people and millions of, hundreds of millions of our people on the African continent and all over the planet, right? So yeah, guess I, look, what? And, and I'm, I'm Their out. history is dark, evil. I, That's not just normal human behavior. That's evil. That's an evil group of people who have no problem. And the sad part is so many people, even native people, black people, and other groups been sucked into that Absolutely. evil well. Uh-huh. That's why you see what? The crime among groups, uh-huh. right? Yep, I, Ignore it. All I right, listen, the, thanks a lot, man, for that. Uh, for, for, keep, 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 keep going, because it's, it's excellent. Teaching people something, really. I appreciate you people it. that listen to this radio station, believe you me, they listen. That's one reason why you hear the comments you hear when they call. So, hey, thanks a lot for all the info. Thank you. Keep up. You know, I, I want to mention, he mentioned something that I, that I had to address. And, and it's this <coughs> idea that, um, that, that some of what happens in the world is just, um, it, it's just tied to human development. And, 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 the, and it gets argued that it's almost unnatural. It's, it's, you know, it's it's human nature to do this, or it's human. You know, I, I read an article about um, restoration of salmon up in the Yakima territory, and they said, mm-hmm. well, un- unfortunately, we're trying to stem back the uh, you know the damage done by human development. I says, well, first off, we're human, and we were human for thousands and thousands of years on this uh, on this continent before uh, before white folks showed up. So this isn't about human development. This is about this idea of, of devaluing everything that you can to suck money out of. I mean, when I think about, you know, look, I've heard people talk about John Wayne was one of the guys always famous for saying, oh, I don't think there was, uh, it was wrong to do what we did to the Indians. You know, they were in the way. It was natural. It had, it had to happen. I mean, they were selfishly hanging on to land that they oh, couldn't possibly use and that kind of stuff. And I don't know. I mean, it's a paraphrasing. But... There's no, a, but you're sense, on point. There's a sense that what happened to us, what happened to the enslavement of, of, of black people, that it, ah, it was just a necessary thing. It was, it was just a, the natural course of events. And when, when people talk about the genocide that, that committed 
against us or the genocide that's happening in, uh, in Gaza right now. There's like this sense that by some, well, that's what happens when you have a clash of cultures. It's just, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's human nature. No, it isn't. This defies, no. I mean, this, no. I, I, no. and, and it just kind of shows you that, that humans aren't as developed as they think they are, you know, and at least in some capacities, because they're, they're, you don't have to destroy something simply because you're a human being. And there have been human beings in regions of the world for, you know, thousands and thousands of years who didn't think that destruction was a part of being human. Just that. Just got to put it out there. All right, let's go to another caller. Uh, 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 caller, you're up next. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, this is Mike calling from Hempstead. Hey, Mike. Thanks this for calling. I appreciate you guys. Um, I just want to make a comment very quick. Um, I think a lot of the conversations politically with just everybody against Trump and then folks reasonably against Biden, I think there should be more discussion about Jill Skine and putting her name out there and getting people to support her. Well, you know, you look, know, and, and I think I think the idea of of a, of a viable third party candidate sounds good. But you know, here's 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 what I think. My personal view is: I think there's too much emphasis on the top of the ticket. I, I think people don't deal with their community. I mean, whether you're talking about your school board or whether you're talking about your town councils, and I realize it's, it always sounds different when I'm when I'm saying town councils as a, as opposed to city councils, like in the size of a <coughs> city, the size of New York or Washington, but. So much of this politics can actually be local and, and, and can have direct impact on your lives. And we have a tendency to get sucked in because of the money and the advertising and the campaigning and, you know, and, and all the bluster that goes with it, the, the news coverage and all that other stuff. Um, you know, I, I just think that if you want to build a solid political structure, you got to start at the ground. You got to start at the ground with the people. And, you know, and, you know, I realize that, you know, Nothing change isn't fast, but anybody anybody who believes you can go to the voting booth and cast a ballot and your life is going to change, you know, for better or worse. What? You know, frankly, uh, you know, the the impacts of a Trump presidency are only now being felt because of the Supreme Court, right? And 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 be, and you know, frankly, some of the global conflicts. You know, honestly, Reggie, you and I survived the four years of Trump, right? We got through uh, the four years I, of Trump. Oh uh, yeah, I have. And you know, John, seriously, you need to get out of my head because I said this exactly. I said exactly what you said last week to someone else about this. It's I I think the thing is, is that we do need to look local because our communities, the communities that we live in is going to be the things that's going to affect us. I mean, organize. More, I mean, be or, or, right. community organizers. I mean, it doesn't even have to necessarily be. The definitive politics. It's just about organizing. No, no it isn't. The, the, the thing building is, is that, that you're we... in for crying out loud. I mean, I don't care how we, how you do it, but you have to do more. I mean, get to know your neighbors, get to know your community, and and absolutely, and, and stand up for your absolutely. community. And you know, and, look, and if you do that, and, it, yep. and and you incrementally grow that power, you know, then ultimately you can have you can affect change, but. You know, there's no quick and easy answer to any of this stuff. And no, it isn't. It and, isn't. And, and but 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 the but but the answer to this is going to be building. And the building at times can be slow. But the thing is, in order for any improvement to happen, it has to start from the bottom. Right. Right. Let's see if we can get one more caller in. If there's another one on the line, yep. there. Okay. We'll, we'll see, there we'll is get one more in. Caller, you're All right. You're probably the final one. So give me your name and where you're calling from. I'm Greg calling from New Jersey. Hey, Greg, thanks for calling. I appreciate it. Okay. Every time you talk about world events, I, I thank both of you guys saying, ask the people who know all about the rest of the world, did you vote in your last school board election? And when's the last time when you went to your local town council meeting? All right? Mm -hmm. People don't do that. And the town I live in, New Jersey, we were neglectful for a couple of years, and we have a nightmare situation that's going to be settled on the 20th of March because we, we were asleep at the wheel. John, you live in upstate New York. How far from Buffalo are you? The, I live in the Cattaraugus Territory of Seneca Nation. We're about 35 miles from Buffalo. Okay, very familiar with that area. On the 19th of, uh, of February, one of the greatest emancipation situations in the history of the world took place. About 20 million people who were considered serfs in Tsarist Russia 
received essentially by Tsar Alexander in 1861. Two of those people who were very young were my great-grandparents who came to the United States, to New Jersey, eventually settled on a farm up near Watertown, New York. Mm -hmm. And within a year, this is 1921 now, they were greeted by some of the natives. You're all, you're all Eastern European people. A cross was burnt on his front lawn because they were so glad to see people who were Catholic and immigrants. So we've all had our, our problems, if you will. One thing, and, and they eventually found the guys who did it, and they beat the crap out of them. In upstate New York, if I may, one of the most beautiful places in the world, in the Hudson Valley, you no longer have IBM. That's 50,000 jobs. From Schenectady to Syracuse to all the towns up there that were essentially General Electric, that's 100,000 jobs that no longer exist. You go up to Binghamton, New York, which was IBM and a whole bunch of other places, it's so depressed, it's unbelievable. Eastman Kodak no longer exists in Rochester. Am I, am I accurate? Yeah. yeah it's absolutely. a U.S. Steel south of, of Buffalo employed like 20,000, 30,000 people. No longer there. No more jobs. Is there a way of incentivizing, especially the native young people who get skills in jobs paid for by New York State or the federal government, in exactly climate change and alternative energy. Is there a way to incentivize that in these various communities? Because, John, I go to upstate New York a couple times a year. I used to go to visit my relatives up in Watertown, up in Rochester. The ride was always breathtaking, so beautiful, right? Now, my God, these communities, they're, they're almost gone. Yeah. Well, we're just about, we're just about out of time, so let me, let me address a few things because we're, we're just about done here. I, I'm never one of those guys who want to engage uh, or, or solve problems from a native standpoint with government programs. Um, and I'm not saying government programs shouldn't help what I consider the vast uh, American population. But uh, I know we we need to take care of ourselves. And 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 I think but I think you're right. And, and I agree completely on, on the idea of being more involved locally. Look, if you don't if you don't take, pay attention to your school board then what the hell do you think is going to happen with the children that these schools are educating? I mean, so there's, I mean, there's a, a whole waterfall effect of bad things that happen when all you're looking at is who's at the top of a, of a Democrat or Republican ticket. And, you know, until we do something more about that, um, you know, the, those problems are going to persist. Reggie, I want to thank you for helping me with the calls and for weighing in. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and, uh, and have you engaged. No problem. And, um, We'll be back next week. So I want to thank you guys for listening. Again, support WBAI, support WPFW. Wish them a happy birthday. Send them $47. That's all there. And set 47. And, uh, uh, and, you know, hey, help secure uh, keeping, me, keeping me on the air in these stations. And, and I greatly appreciate it. This is John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. Yahweh. <laughs>